On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have a very special guest. For the first time ever, we have Joey. Can- oh no, no, actually, we have Rob Pizzolo, Joey Kanish's alter ego, and um, is are you guys enemies? Enemies. So we also have Rufus Peabody who goes through his normal spiel, and I try really hard not to interrupt him, which is just painfully hard. Uh, we have an agenda, which is really nice. We talk about the Calcutta closing line value what it would be like if any of us own an NFL franchise. And then we end by talking about this week's NFL game. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where we have. Joey Kanish's favorite guest, Rob Pizzola, and um, Rufus Peabody. And we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to try to have a very, very structured podcast, which is going to be structured in like a, um, uh, like a debate format with rebuttals and back and forth. We're going to use parliamentary procedure to make sure no one interrupts each other. And here we go. So the first subject is a recap of the Calcutta. So Rob, now that you're no longer in the Calcutta, what do you think about, what did you think about the Calcutta? How, what would you have done differently if you had to do it all over again? For one, I'm still in the Calcutta. Bears have the largest margin of defeat so far. And I've actually secretly bought up some shares of other teams as well. So I still have some rooting interest in the Calcutta. Um, what will, would I have done differently? Well, First of all, it, everyone went in with kind of like that same strategy, right? We, we talked about this at the end of actually doing the Calcutta, but it was like, you want to get one of those early teams because then you can kind of control the rest of the auction, so to speak, uh, and bid up other teams. The challenge for me was we had a pretty smart group of people that we assembled there. And I felt like everybody was going in with that strategy and potentially, since we were all wise to it, somebody might get screwed on an early team um, or get into a situation where they're just pretty much buying everything. And that's kind of like a really bad look if we were going to go down that road as well. Um, but I, I guess that just really didn't happen. So um, in hindsight, I mean, I probably should have just stuck to my guns of what I thought was going to be a good strategy going in, but uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was an interesting it was just interesting to see it unfold because the reality was that I didn't think it would unfold like every other Calcutta that I've done before. And it completely did. So you're saying that if you had to do it all over again, you would have tried to buy a team early and then just use that to anchor your model and then just kind of push off of that. Exactly. I mean, that's what, that's what Matt David Al did. Like right. he pretty much did that right out of the gate. And it's a great strategy just in general. I just thought that the crowd of people that we had wouldn't have allowed that to happen. But I mean, I tried not to allow it to happen, but he would have kept like at a certain point I was like, you know, I don't want the pot to be a million dollars. I was not prepared for that. 
And I felt like Rufus coins. Rufus. a million, excuse me, a million Rufus coins. I wasn't prepared for that. So at a certain point I was like, okay, I'm going to let him, you know, take that because I, I came in saying, okay, I'm comfortable putting 110, 120,000 down and thinking that the, thinking that that's what, what, thinking that's what like the pot size was going to be. So I vastly underestimated it, but, but I do think like, but I, I think it's a dominant strategy to get that first team. If you, if you have the bankroll to go get it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing with that strategy. It's clearly a great strategy in general. I was just hoping for one of those situations where Matt, I mean, he grabbed the first team for 20 K and I was just kind of hoping that the next team would go off for significantly less and for once leave the first one as a bad, bad bid, or Matt is just going to have to continuously drive up the pot for those early ones. And then I like, we could have kind of ragged on him after like he bought the first three or four teams and called them out and somebody could have ended up with some really bad expected value. Whereas I think like no one really did for the yeah, most I think part, everybody anchored to everybody anchored to that first team exactly. um, as well for value, especially after Matt bid, you know, the second, you know, cause he's going to take every team up to his true price at that point. But um, right. Yeah. So I'm still unclear on what you guys think is the strategy that could have disrupted that. I mean, is it, is it taking a shot? Like Rob, you, you're a known bills lover. Is it like when the bills come up, just bidding them up and just being like, I, I want the bills and then see where things go from there. The, the problem is the, the early bids dictate the entire Calcutta, right? Because everybody's updating their pot, their estimated pot size based off of what those for that first team goes for, second team goes for, so on and so forth. So what once Matt ended up with the Colts for 20k, already he, he's going to have the strategy in his head of I'm going to I'm going to try to get these teams up as high as possible, and if he ends up with every team, then so be it. So I I, I could envision a scenario where essentially he ends up with the first three or four teams because no one else is bidding that high. And then we basically peer pressure him or as a group mock him for this strategy in a public forum where he kind of has to tone it down a bit and ends up with some. Well, so part part of it then is that you guys are so anchored on what he got that you don't want to overbid because you effectively change the pot size and you feel like you're giving him expected value, therefore giving up expected value. And it's almost like you're too disciplined for like to create uh, the, because of the fact that like you're, you're so anchored on not letting him get positive EV and all the models are similar. You're effectively saying that no one else going forward is going to get any positive EV because it's all anchored on the same pricing and it's, it's actually like a, again, like I go back to this where it's just a fucking boring Calcutta. It's a boring, it like the way that we did that was incredibly boring. I will say it was kind of thrilling in real time, but in hindsight, yes, it was yeah. boring. Like nothing, like when you look at the final results and even when, when I'm looking at the teams that I think got negative expected value, it's not like it was like a horribly poor auction for anyone is it essentially it's like a bunch of us are coin flipping for a lot of money is yeah. what it comes down to i agree it wasn't egregious by by anybody but but to your point about about matt taking and and sort of not wanting to give him positive ev bets i think every, nobody is going to be bidding 
what they, you know, nobody's going to be making a bet that they think is negative EV though. Nobody's going to be bidding above their, the price where, you know, their break even price or below it, I should say above it, whatever, you know what I mean? Correct. But, but so what I'm saying, Rufus is Matt, Matt makes a bid on, on 20 K for the Colts. Now every, uh, and he gets the Colts for 20 K. Everybody is updating their estimated yes. pot size based off of that bid. When in reality, if everyone updated their estimated pot size to a lower number to, to, so that Matt's bid is negative expected value, then it forces him to just keep buying up the teams. No, I, I agree. And I guess my thought is that at that point, like, like the first, I guess the market, the, the implied pot size based on that first team to go like that, that is never, in my opinion, going to go down unless that person okay. plays it irrationally. Right. Unless the guy that bids it, you know, or or, or if you have the same, assuming that he had, you had the same, assuming everybody has the same prices on everything. Right. Or, yeah. or, or, or uh, unless there's limitations on the dollar like about amount you can spend or the number of teams that you can uh, purchase. So, but, but yeah, in, in this structure, Matt should have never, whoever gets the first team, whether it's Matt or anyone else should never end up with negative expected value on that first team because yep. they just keep bidding up to the expected value point on every subsequent team that comes afterwards. Well, well, the only way they end up with negative EV on that one team is if they have positive, like if, if let's say everybody else says, Hey, I'm not going to go high. Like the second team goes for like half of that. Nobody else goes up, you know, okay. nobody so, else goes up. The first team looks bad, but then he owns all the teams at that point. No, so it doesn't matter. But, but so Rufus, it's all zero, but he controls the second bid regardless. No, right. That's my it, point. You, got, you guys but, are all operating under the premise that everyone's model is pretty much the same. Yeah. Which is the real problem with this, right? No. Well, it made it, it made it a game theoretical strategy and all that. Like, in, in, in my opinion, it made it an interesting sort of educational tool or educational tool for me. Uh, here's what I'm here's what I'm saying. Jeff. I kind of find Rufus to be an educational tool. So there we go. I'm a big tool. <laughs> that was that was a good one, Jeff. That was pretty, it was pretty good. Uh, the, the Colts go first for 20K. The, I believe the next team auction was the Rams. Uh, Tampa. Tampa. OK, Tampa is the next team auction. If it if if the final bid or or whatever is going to be the final bid is lower than what Matt's expected right. value is, he should go right to that number every single time. And yeah. not even you're and so not like, but at that point it doesn't matter if yeah. I mean, if he could get it for less, he should essentially is what you're saying. Correct. He should pay more. He yeah. he should get he, somebody has to overpay for that second team yeah. based on. And that, that's just the strategy in general until you, until you end up with every single team or somebody else, quote unquote, overspends and you end up with positive EV on the first team. So that, that's the advantage of getting the early teams. Gotcha. I guess what I was saying is that if you could get that second team for 30K, you get it for 30K instead of 40K. But at that point, it, it, in that, but it doesn't really matter because like at that point, you could still keep it. At that point, you could just keep, going and getting every team so and Matt's no dummy that's exactly what he was doing he wasn't outbidding by like 500 all 500 rufus coins he was going like 10 grand more on these because he was trying to to juice the pot so that his his first bid would end up being a good one and it's a great strategy like it's I mean that's exactly how you should approach a a Calcutta in general and I I think he did a, a good job of just being like the aggressor so to speak early on and dictated the pace like if i, if I want to compare it to like 
some lame sports analogies and stuff. So I'm going to go he back came in with the big, I think he came in with essentially willing to bet the most. I think that was the biggest advantage. I don't think advantage. that's true. Oh, you, uh, really, Jeff? So you, you would have, okay. I just assumed, because I, I feel like the pot size is going to be determined by, by bankroll. I mean, who gets the first team is determined by the, by bankroll. Well, no, and the amount I, it goes for is determined by the second most well capitalized so team. I honestly, bankroll. I honestly think, and, and I will take a hundred percent blame for this. This is so uninteresting. Okay. The let's Calcutta move on. It's so uninteresting <laughs> because of the fact that like literally everything you guys are saying is based on the premise that our models are very, very similar, right? If our models are different, meaning like we have fundamentally different prices on the teams from a percentage standpoint. Mm -hmm. Like if you're like, I think, you know, like let's just say that you had no market like prices or you had no odds and we had to price these differently. And it was like something that was like unsolved, right? Where there was like very different viewpoints on different people, then it would be a much different thing. But because this is largely solved, Everything you guys are saying is true, but it's also just uninteresting. So agree. And and I, I do think if you have different prices, but you have a sense of what the market price is going to be, you can use that knowledge as well. But, let's move on. From okay. This. Um, so there was some uh, discussion on Twitter between Spanky and a lot of people on this concept of closing line value. And, you know, I mean, it, the Allen Boston, you know, chiming in, whatnot. Uh, Rufus, why don't you sum this up? And then Rob, I'd love to hear your viewpoint. And then maybe Rufus, if you have a different viewpoint, you guys can argue about it. I'll just, I'll hang up and listen. First time caller, I'll hang up and listen. So I haven't actually read the whole thread. I've been told about it, but I haven't read the whole thing. So maybe, maybe somebody else wants to sum it up. Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, Spanky tweeted something along the lines of, I mean, it came down to he would rather beat a line and lose a bet than to not beat a line and win a bet uh, because all that matters to him is closing line value. Uh, and then he said he ended his tweet with your bets suck, referring to somebody that I guess was not regularly not beating the, the closing line. But yeah, that's, the, that's just the, the premise of it. And then I think Alan Boston, who I don't follow and I think I have muted but I, I saw the tweet just responded and said, like, I don't agree. This is, I'd much rather win a bet, even if I don't beat the closing line. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind and of. And then Haralabob actually weighed in, which was interesting too. And basically said he totally disagreed because if he was, if his bets were um, getting closing line value, it would be bad for him. And he was talking about like pump fakes and all that kind of stuff. Which Spanky said, hey, don't give this away. You might actually come back in the game to where Tralabob just said, we'll never come back into the game. I work for an NBA team, blah, blah, blah. So Rufus, you brought this I, up yeah. before we were on. So you must have some point of view on this. No, I think it's interesting. And I think it's an oversimplification because it's going to be different for every market and it's going to be different depending on the way you bet. So Spanky's not an originator. Spanky doesn't have, I mean, he's, he, as far as he knows, the closing line is the most efficient price. That's the, the best way for him to judge his bets. And generally the closing line um, is the most efficient price, but 
if you are doing things in a different way, let's say you have data that the market doesn't have or information the market doesn't have, then you could theoretically have uh, a bet that does not get closing line value because you're doing things in a novel way that nobody else is doing. Um, I think that's that's rare in major sports, um, but it's it's certainly not unprecedented. Uh, you know, it's it, I, I think it's rare to sort of do that on a consistent basis in major sports, but in smaller markets, I think it's a lot more likely that you see those types of things. Um, and so, uh, and I understand from what you said about Haralabab's point, I think that makes a lot of sense too. Um, uh, and that he's trying to disguise things. And, you know, if you're that good, like um, you don't want people to be able to essentially reverse engineer your approach. Rob, do you have a rebuttal or I'll give you two minutes for your rebuttal. No, I mean, I, I agree with Rufus in general. Uh, listen, I, I put stock into closing line value. Like, I think it's a, a great indicator if you're looking at a larger sample. If it's if it's a one bet sample, I would much rather win the bet than, than get the closing line. Like, that's just common sense for me. I, I mean, I, I'm in this to make money. And I know in the long run, I'm, I'm beating close enough to overcome the VIG that is charged by bookmakers. So I, I don't really care about a single bet. Um, it bothers me sometimes, like w watching the market go against you and, you know, trying to understand why that's happening or if there is information out there uh, or data available that maybe you're not working with. But I mean, in a small sample like that, who cares? In a larger sample, I do think that there's value in, in markets. And, you know, I measure my error metrics, my log loss against uh, Pinnacle and Chris closing prices to see where I stack up against them. And the markets in general are, are pretty efficient. There are some one-offs for sure. There's always going to be some scenarios where you completely disagree and say, how did this happen? Like my biggest NFL bet this year was the Buffalo Bills as an underdog to Nick Mullins. And I was scratching my head the entire day trying to figure out why that happened. Um, I mean, somebody had a strong opinion on that game and that person is a long-term winner and the market highly respected their opinion, but I didn't. Um, so, I mean, and, and the last kind of the last point I'll make is Rufus hit the nail on the head, like Spanky bets in a different way than most originators do, uh, or just like guys like me and Rufus who are running a model and, and betting our edges. Um, he's looking to do things a little bit differently. And for him, um, that's why he's measuring closing line value as, as his best indicator of success. For me, I mean, it matters, but ultimately I want to win. Um, and, and that's what it comes down to. Okay. So Rufus, you said something during that, your um, initial conversation about this, which was it matters on what market it is. So let's take two markets, which are very different. And I know both of you guys probably look at these differently. Let's take golf matchups and let's take NFL sides. So how... Like, how do you think about those differently from a CLV standpoint or do you? So like, what are the, what are the, you said depends on market. So those are two that I would think in your minds are very different. And is there, you know, how, how I guess, what did you mean by that? And are those two examples of those two markets that you would think differently on? I think those are two examples of markets I think differently on, you know, I'm not routinely, if I'm not, if I'm not beating especially if I, bets that I make earlier in the week for NFL, if I'm not re regularly getting a better number than the close, then, uh, you know, I might as well just 
put the skates away. Um, you like that, Rob? That's it was, it was good. It's was, wait, but wait for for a second um, though, but, right? Okay, but, but talk the, about your contrast the, that to the goal. But, but I will hold on. I will say that I do think markets can overreact at times, and there is like just the closing line is once it you know it's it's a static point, right? It's the point where the right. game begins. Can I we can't finish? Cost, no, I will. I'm going to get to that. Golf. I'm going to get to that. Um, but what I'm saying is, I still will bet stuff on game day because I think maybe the market has overmoved at some point. Um, which can happen. The market overmoves at points during the week, but if it's on game day, if it's right before the game begins, it can overmove and game starts and boom, it doesn't get a chance to correct back. So I, I um, golf, I think, um, I think the, the real, the thing is there is not the same process of price discovery um, and as many market participants and as much money being bet on golf as there is in the NFL, which is why the, it's a lot easier for one individual um, or a few individuals to influence the market. And I mean, I've seen, I've seen huge market moves on golf and, and back, um, you know, back in the day, um, like seven years ago, I remember, or eight years ago, we had a run of like a, over a three month stretch where we were over 70%, like on our matchups, averaging maybe like a minus 120 price. So, and we would bet something we, you know, had through a bunch of different agents, the screen would light up. We, we might bet it at minus 110. It goes to minus 160. Like I made the price minus 125, but it overreacted to the fact that we, you know, it, people saw, oh, these bets that are moving the market had been doing really, really well and can't lose. So they just kept betting it and betting it um, irrationally. So, and, and that can happen, you know, when there's not as much money to kind of uh, to keep the market sane um, that can happen. And so I, I would not put nearly the same amount of stock in a smaller market like golf as I would a big market like the NFL. Rob? I largely agree with, with that just in general. I think, all, I mean, limits determine the efficiency of the market for the most part. I think there's a pretty high correlation there. Um, NFL Sunday morning, I mean, the limits are absurdly high. European soccer, they're absurdly high. These are um, what are considered highly efficient markets. Now, with that said, there's really only, I mean, it's, it's the same usual suspects that are betting into those NFL numbers on Sunday. There's really like a handful of people that are moving markets. So it's not unheard of for, for someone to, uh, I mean, to have something that's better than just a handful of others that are out there. And I can see why someone would want to dismiss those early Sunday morning moves, for example. Uh, plus, as Rufus mentioned, a lot of times these overmove because then you have the steam chasers that are piling in on top of that original number and driving that number even further out. Um, I can recall some baseball seasons where that certainly happened, where you'd see lines move 40 to 50 cents based off who was betting them, creating value on the opposite side. So I, I think just in general, as a rule of thumb, the higher the limits, the more efficient the market, the more you should probably respect uh, the close in that market. Okay. I agree. So, and, and really quickly, Rob, what was interesting to me, um, somebody that we both, uh, that all of, all of us here know and respect was telling me on Sunday, he was like, oh yeah, this, um, you know, this huge group in Europe just bet like Washington, which caused the line to move from plus nine down to plus eight. I actually might've been on a Saturday, but, but he was like, I don't agree with that move. I think they could have, or I think they could have done better waiting. And like, sure enough, it, it went back up. But at the same time, like it's still, that had a big influence in the market for a while. And it's it, so 
these big groups still, you just have to be a much, much bigger group in the NFL to have that kind of impact. So, okay. What we didn't, you guys kind of like glossed over the crux of this, right? You, you talked Price about, the val- you're, you're basically talking about um, closing line value in different markets, but ultimately the whole point of this is which do you care about more winning or closing line value? And what I, if we go back to this concept of PGA, which I find interesting. So let's say Rufus and, and you like, it's like a weird self-fulfilling prophecy because you control the golf market in many ways. Right. And you can say you don't, but you do, but let's just say that, um, okay. You were betting a bunch of golf matchups and of course they went your way like right away after you bet them, but then they consistently kept going against you. Like, you know, and you could rebet them if you wanted, but you don't because you had enough down and they keep going against you. If you keep losing, right. Would that cause you to be like, okay, what the hell is going on? Or if you, and if you, and would that differ if you kept winning? So, I mean, there are matchups that will move back. You know, I'll have bet it. Because Rob moved. bets them. Typically. Yeah, exactly. No. But for example, this week, I actually bet Chris Kirk laying minus 122 um, at Bet Online uh, against uh, CT Pan. Like it, it closed. Um, that price was a lot higher. It came down. And, and I bet it because of that. But the thing is, let's say I bet 10 matchups and, you know, the price basically holds at, where I moved it to on eight of them and it comes back on two. Now, maybe I find out in the long, maybe in the long term, I'm, I'm losing on those two that come back if I rebet them. Um, now that's, that says that maybe, you know, I, I should respect the market in that case. Um, but that doesn't mean that my betting is worthless. It just means that I probably shouldn't just keep piling on on the ones where the market moved against me. And that's something that I actually have been trying to track and look at because it is interesting. And I, I, I have a good, a pretty high degree of confidence in, in my golf stuff, but I know it's, it's not bulletproof. There's, you know, and there's always information out there. And so I'm always a little cautious if there is a lot of resistance on something. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not like I'm just going to throw absolutely everything I have at it um, just blindly. All right, let's, I'm going to ask one more question on this and we can end this conversation and move on to the next thing. Um, NFL uh, side golf matchup. You bet it or something that wasn't in range for you becomes in range, right? It becomes like a clear bet right before post. Which one are you more inclined to bet at that point? An NFL side or a golf matchup that's a good question actually because with the golf it could be some some information because it's a i mean golf it's a more fragile sport it's one play one person it's it's an individual sport so if there's inside information out there and there is like people people have so many connections to golfers and caddies and stuff you hear it like on the slack chats you know channels you hear it on group chats and most of the time it ends up being worthless but um so I, I don't know. I mean, Rob, what would you say? I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, personally, I, I've never really had much success betting NFL at post in general. Like I have a pretty long-term track record of, of my late ads on Sunday. 
and they're, they're pretty much break even. So, um, you know, I do my periscope on, on Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 AM. And I, I turned like a 5% ROI this year. And I feel like that was a miracle. If I'm being completely honest, I, I just don't like betting into that market. I think it's extremely efficient at that point, but Rufus raises a good point about golf, right? Um, there, there could be information out there that I'm not privy to, and, and it's more exploitable in that market than it is in the NFL specifically. I, I don't know the answer, Jeff. I really don't know. In general, I'm not a fan of doing it whatsoever, unless I, I feel very confident in what I'm doing. And, and for me, the only sport that I wager on where I, I, I'm happy to bet at post like that is hockey. Um, that's just because of the, my track record in that sport and betting at post. Um, so uh, and and also in hockey, you fundamentally think you have both a different approach and probably different information than people do. Yes, I do. So, okay, let's move on. Um, would love to talk a little bit about non-betting right now and the analytics behind, or at least the thought process. This is called bet the process. The thought process behind building an NFL front office from GM to coach. We this week we had what Urban Meyer taking over the Jaguars, Robert Sala taking over the Jets. And I guess for you guys, if you owned an NFL franchise, like which of those two would you have hired if those were the only two choices and why? And then we can get into a little bit more of the specifics of this whole decision. I, I, so, this, and I'll this, actually, I'll throw, sorry, I'll throw a third one in there that can be your choice, Eric Bienemy. So, I'll, I'll start by saying this is by no means my area of expertise whatsoever. And I, I in gen, generally just don't like making calls on whether I think somebody's going to be a good head coach or not, because there's just so much that's unknown from, from these guys in general. I can give you like my general gut feeling on certain guys, but to me, like if I'm, if I'm hiring a head coach, I'm going to put them through the gauntlet of hypotheticals. Like I will walk them through specific game states and what are you calling in this situation? What, like, what are you doing in this two minute drill? Um, how are you game planning for this opponent that's lining up with this type of defense and, and things of that nature um, rather than like trusting the track record, like Robert Sala is like very good defensive coordinator uh, you look at the EPA per play uh, for the 49ers when they've been healthy. And I mean, he's done a great job there. Richard Sherman, who I highly you know, respect, kind of gave a public stamp of approval for the hiring today. But he seems like a very like, I, I don't know, he's like he seems like a motivator type of coach and uh, at least very fired up on the sidelines. And I, I don't know how privy he is to analytics or whether he's, you know, how those in-game decisions are going to look, because we've seen a lot of coaches you know, transfer from a, being a, a very good coordinator to just being a horrible head coach because the responsibilities are completely different. Um, and you're hiring for different responsibilities as a head coach where you have to have a total grasp of the team and a total grasp of what's happening in, in game and probabilities and the consequences of making decisions in game. Um, so to me, I don't know about Salah. Urban Meyer, I think is largely a goof just based off of my experience watching him coach college football. I think he's a great recruiter, but not a, a great decision maker in real time. 
Uh, but th that's what it comes down to for me. It's ultimately, to, to, is this person like competent? Like, I, I hate to just simplify it like that, but do they really understand what is going on and happening in real time? Let me add a, a teeny bit of color to this, right? Okay. So this, and then Rufus, you can jump in. I have so a question this, for both of you. Okay, let me just, this stemmed from um, Ed um, Power Rank. What's Ed's last name? Sorry. Fang. Ed Fang. Ed Fang. Sorry, all the Asians, they blend, Ed. They, they blend together for me. Um, so no, this stemmed from his tweet about uh, the hiring of, um, he, he talked about Urban Meyer and he was like, at least it's not some recently fired head coach or some coordinator with unbelievable talent. Meaning like he had some point of view that those were both bad ways to hire, right? So if you're gonna, and maybe we need to get him on and say what he thinks it is, but you know, if you're going to shit on those two, which obviously there's some stuff that comes in there that, that probably um, isn't great. Like what, what should you be looking for? Should, Rob, if you interviewed him and you asked him game states and he said, run, run, pass, what would you say? <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Like, see you later. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. Like, you, just look at this past wild card. Sorry, I was trying to hit on a hot button. <laughs> but, but, but look, uh, look, you did. You, you did. I mean, look look at the past wild card weekend. You, you won't see as much run, run, pass as we just saw in the last weekend of football. But just in general, you, you have guys like Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin, who literally cost their teams double digits in win percentage just by in-game decisions. And I know you I know you might say that the coach doesn't necessarily need to make that decision. Maybe he just needs someone on the staff to be able to make those decisions in real time. And that's valid. But if you're interviewing a coach and they said something like that to you, like this is not my area of expertise, but for sure I would have someone on the sidelines that is telling me what to do, like if I should be going for two-point conversions, if I should be going for fourth downs, that to me is a signal that this guy understands how he can incrementally pick up some win probability in season, in games. Um, so it's stuff like that that I would be looking for. It's no different than any other job interview. It's how much, you know, I, and I guess it's for me, I'm maybe putting more of an emphasis on uh, in-game rather than I guess the weekly preparation but I feel like there's so many coaches out there that can do the weekly preparation like it's just common I mean so I think we as fans and you know consumers of the NFL product see what I mean we evaluate coaches largely based on that because it's what we see it's the it's the information we have um, when I tend to think it's a very, very small piece of the pie. If a coach makes, let's say a coach costs his team 3% win probability per week um, with bad decision-making. I mean, the, the difference between a good and a bad coach, I think in terms of game planning and getting, you know, practice and, and getting a team like it to be a cohesive unit is probably worth a lot more than 3% a week. Um, obviously you want someone that can, that can do all of it. I was curious, but how much of it do you think is the in-game analytical de decision-making versus everything else? Like if you had to put a weight on, on how much you value those things. Well, I mean, I think, I think to your Besides point, is like, a signaling device to, to your point, it's, it's hard, right. To quantify everything that you're talking about, right. We don't see how they prepare. 
So let's just evaluate the coaches from this past weekend. Like if you're just evaluating how prepared they are, I mean, I, it didn't look to me like the Steelers were prepared at all and their coach cost them with decision-making, right? Like, well, yeah, their game plans weren't, weren't good. And I know their, their coordinators are not very highly thought of either their offensive or defensive. I mean, the Warren Sharp thing about, about linebackers covering these slot receivers and the Browns putting their one good receiver in the slot and the Steelers literally not being able to adjust to that. Right. But the Steelers have done that for years. Like that's nothing new under, but I agree. I mean, I've, good. I've, I've, I've never considered Mike Tomlin to be a good coach. A oh, lot see, of people, I, really? Be, at, at, so this is where we're going to disagree. And a lot of people will say, well, he's great at getting the most out of his team. He's a, you know, he's a master motivator and whatever. And I'm like, really? Like they, I mean, they constantly underperform against poor teams just in general. So I don't know about the motivation mm-hmm. under Mike Tomlin, but to me, like, it's <laughs> what's the best way I could, I could put this. Like if, if I'm, if I was a head coach and I could pick certain guys that I want to go up against that I want a game plan for over the course of a week, Tomlin would be on that list. Like, I think, you know, exactly what you're going to get out of the Steelers regularly. And I think there was a huge coaching mismatch this weekend with Tomlin. And even though Stefanski wasn't really coaching, but being able to put together that game plan, I think it manifested that itself in that. Um, so, I, I mean, that's not a great definition, but it, that's kind of like how I evaluate coaches. It's like, would I love to, to personally be coaching against this person? Uh, unfortunately, I would say for three quarters of the league, yes. But, I mean, that's, that's just the state of NFL coaching right now, I think. I mean, I think what Tomlin, like how much of it is the organization and, and the Steelers are a, a model organization. They have been for, for decades um, and decades. And so how much of it is, is that? And, and, you know, basically the structure that's in place um, versus how much of it's Tomlin with their sustained success. Cause he hasn't had a losing season his entire time in, in Pittsburgh, but, but I wanted to call it, wait really quick, Rob. I wanted to say, you know, I, I kind of, I thought Tomlin would be up there when I looked at guys that under or overperform like their, their baseline, um, uh, you know, against good and bad um, teams. And uh, he was pretty middle of the pack there. The guy, the coach that, that underperforms the most against high quality competition is Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if Tom, I mean, we'll probably get this. We'll see if Tom Brady neutralizes that because Belichick is the guy that Bel- yeah. Belichick and Andy Reid are the top two in terms of overperforming against better competition. And which says a lot to me that probably does, you know, but, but on the other side, John Harbaugh is like on the other extreme with Bruce Arians. And I consider John Harbaugh to be a good coach. Yes. So do I, I mean, but that's like, just sorry. One thing that's those, that analysis Rufus, you did had to have been tiny sample size. No. So, so Jeff, this is, um, this is over the last 20 years. So it's, it's a, it's a random but for effect. Any it's individual a Bayesian, coach, but well, so for, for any, any individual indiv- coach, you have, it's not, this isn't playoff games. This is just a, like performance. Okay. Um, it's, it's their game grade is a function of their op- um, opponent quality. And so, so, so with Tomlin, I would be very interested in this and you won't have the answer off the top of your head, but something worth looking into is for me, the Steelers under Mike Tomlin have underachieved or underperformed versus expectations on the road for a decade. And I don't know what that is, but for some reason in road games, especially when they're expected to win. And I hate to cite trends, but that's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. You have a closing spread. 
and you have the Steelers under Tomlin as road favorites, they're deplorable. Now the sample is, I don't know what it is, like 40, 50 games. I'm trying to think of, no, it's It's not huge. Yeah, it's not huge, but there's like, I don't know. Is is that coaching? Is it random? There's, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, For me, I would be very like, I get this all the time when I make fun of Pete Carroll, right? I think Pete Carroll's a horrible head coach just in general, but I always get the, well, he's got a ring and he should have had two. And it's like, well, you can, you can still have success and underachieve. It's like when Dave Roberts wins a hundred games managing the Dodgers. It's well, if the expectation was 105 or 110, then you've underachieved. Um, so like that, that's kind of my, my whole thing is, Imagine having Russell Wilson and an elite defense for the amount of years that they did and having one ring. I mean, I feel like that's not enough. And I I think the same with the Steelers, like they've had a great defense for a long time. They had a very good quarterback with elite weapons at receiver for a long time. And yes, they were good for a long time, but I think they should have had more success in general than they actually did. Okay. That's fair. Um, Jeff, to answer your original question though, what would I like, and I do have some strong opinions here on the coaching stuff. I think there's two, you know, there's so much that's unknown, obviously with, with the current, you know, by the way, I didn't even know that these hires were just announced today, huh? Um, but, um, it probably wouldn't be urban Meyer. He wouldn't be my choice, but, (laughs) but, but again, there's a lot, I don't know. And so, um, I, I would, I would kind of, the way I would approach it would be less about X's and O's. I mean, we've seen all the North Turners of the world. Like it's, it just because someone is good at one thing doesn't mean they'll be good at, at something more just because you're a good coder. Doesn't mean you'll be good at managing a team of people, right? Managing a team of coders, for example, or if you're um, a good sports better, you could be a good podcaster. Exactly. Definitely does not translate. Um, so, I mean, I would, I would think I would liken it to hiring a CEO. Like I want someone that's a leader that had, that is organized um, has a philosophy and a mindset, um, ability to lead and understands what they don't know. Uh, and basically is, I want someone that is going to put, that's going to hire people that are in accordance with their philosophy, um, and try to put their team in the best position they can that way. And, and I think that, I guess you have some C, like, I guess Tomlin is a CEO head coach. Um, I think I'd say John Harbaugh is, you still have the Sean McVay's of the world that are the X's and O's guys. Um, and I think there's the question is, which one do you want? Like if you get an offensive genius, like they're probably going to get hired as a head coach somewhere else. So, you know, maybe if I guess having an offensive genius like X's and O's guy is a head coach, um, all else equal is probably more sustainable because, you know, you're, you're not relying on new assistants coming in um, with the different, like to try to sort of recreate that philosophy. But um but personally, I, I, I tend to think that sort of the leadership and the philosophy and the organization and all that stuff is, is undervalued. And I think a guy like Anthony Lynn is getting a lot of flack uh, because of how poor the Chargers have done in close games. Um, remember, this was what, a 12 and four team two years ago. And, and he, and I know they do have a lot of talent, but I think if it weren't for the in-game stuff, like he'd be a fantastic head coach. And I think if, if you had someone on the sideline advising him that he listened to, then I would say Anthony Lynn's a head guy I want to hire as head coach. I strongly disagree. Yeah. Okay. So let's just, let, let's just end this conversation with a a final question and we can all just weigh in on it. 
multiple choice. You get Anthony Lynn, you get Eric Bieniemy, you get Urban Meyer, or you get Robert Sala for your franchise. Who do you pick? Rufus, you go first. Ooh. That is, I don't have enough information to answer that. Um, you just pick one person. All right, I'll go first. Anthony I Lynn. Take Ro- you take Anthony Lynn. I take Robert Sala. Rob, who do you take? Eric Bieniemy. Uh, although I, I like agree with Rufus. I don't have like, I need to sit down and interview these guys. There's certain traits. A hundred percent. Like you're, yeah. I agree. Like what both of you guys said, which is like interview them. Although interview is like very interviewing generally is like a very biased art, right? Yeah. Like you ask questions, you have an opinion on what the right answer is. There's like unconscious bias. When you see someone, they talk away, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, go ahead, Rob. I, I get that, Jeff. I completely agree with you. For me, I'm more so just looking for critical thinking ability. Like yeah. to me, that is the Period. number one. And that's whether the coach agrees. Like that's whether I, you know, he says what I expect or not. It's can you think critically? And I think coaches that can think critically in general will find more success in the league um, because that's uncommon amongst current coaches, in my opinion. I agree. And yeah. And by the so, way, I was saying, I, I'm assuming Anthony Lynn will have hopefully learned from his last stop, but I don't know. Well, so, Rufus, he you, will never learn. That's, that's the problem with a lot of these guys is that they like Mike Tomlin comes out and instead of saying, you know what, we should have went for it there. It's like, uh, you know, we wanted to play the field position game and how, like it's, tw- it's 2021 right now. And you get the same commentary from these guys after the game. They, they, they will not learn. There are certain people that are just incapable or they are stubborn. And to me, like, like watching the chargers come out every week when you have Justin Herbert and a pretty good core of receivers and weapons and just run on first and second down and force this guy to convert third downs regularly. Like, there's a lot of data available. You have to imagine that there's someone within that organization that is coming to the coach in general with this data. At some point you utilize it, you dismiss it. You don't know what to do with it, but I just think there's too many coaches that, <laughs> I mean, they're just ignoring common sense. Yeah. That's, that's basically most all the coaches. I think if I had an organization, I would try to, you know, I, I would hope that I would be able to have some influence, although that's what, you know, Dan Snyder probably said too. So you literally I, just hired Anthony Lynn. So I don't think you're no, you, okay. You gave me like two seconds. I, I, I was like, okay, does be enemy, does the Andy Reed thing, Andy Reed helps, but at the same time he's surrounded by a bunch of talent. Like, but you, you know, have to make a decision. You can't ask I know us nothing, like, which I know is nothing what? about Robert Sala's philosophies. I, you know, I think he's yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. But you're, I mean, you're okay. And if I want to win a Super Bowl, Anthony Lynn is probably not the, the number one. But so if, I want, if you, I want to not you be own the Jets NFL yet. team and you don't actually want to win a Super Bowl, well, the good news is I'm not having to make a decision in three minutes. Your objective function is strangely skewed and wrong. Like I, was, you I don't was, want to win a Super Bowl. I was being that stubborn was about Anthony Lynn. I'm sorry. Yeah, you dug in. up some good points. Okay, so let's move on to this week's games. And we can talk about it on the lens of coaching to start with, and then we can move in from there. So there's, there's eight teams left. Okay. Of the eight teams left, which one, which one's coach would you want to coach your team? 
Ooh. I have to pull up this. There's a lot of good coaches. There's a lot of good coaches left. There really are. I think wow. I have my choice. Are you going Andy Reid? No. McVay? No. LaFleur? Who are you going with? I think I'm going McDermott. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going Peyton. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? I think, I think Peyton's fallen off a bit. I, I used to really I, love Peyton. But... I I agree with you, but I don't I don't like what is that what is that really based on? Is that based on like like I feel like is that just results based thinking? Like where it's like so I mean so you I have get... the whole bounty gate thing that happened, right? And that like tarnished him and like but like there was a moment in time where like Sean Payton, like that like surprise onside kick, like everything that he did, like it was, you were like, Peyton is the man. So, so I get like, I get hung up on things a lot. It's probably like just a, a personal flaw of mine in general, but the Taysom Hill stuff drives me absolutely insane with them. A lot of times um, I think Peyton's very quick with the challenge flag. Sometimes like I, these, these little things that I just noticed picking up games a lot of times where it's like, just wait for someone to tell you whether or not to challenge the play rather than them throwing a flag and like wasting a challenge. I don't understand. I, I will never understand that in general. So what is like, the Taysom Hill thing that you don't like? Wait, do you, do you, think, that do you not Taysom like Taysom Hill? Do you not like Taysom like, Hill? I don't like Taysom Hill being utilized in that offense. No, you, you, you and like David, Hour are completely the opposite. He thinks that the saints are a much better team with, with, with Taysom Hill as their starting quarterback than with breeze right now. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Not a much better. He thinks they're no, he like a, they're point, a, better a point, he says they're a point better, better probably. He thinks that Taysom Hill's a much better fit for their personnel. I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. But I, I actually do think there are – so, I mean, we were talking about coaching in general. I'm sorry to completely stray from the topic here, but I would love a coach who comes in and potentially uses two, two quarterbacks in a game plan uh, or just like even would bring that up in an inter- interview. Right. And I'm not but saying isn't that what he's doing. I'm not saying that specifically with a, someone who can't throw the ball, but like if, if it's Taysom Breeze, Hill can throw the ball. Okay. Taysom. I mean, not Taysom. Yeah, sure. Can. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. You really don't think highly of him. Wow. I think we got to get you and Preston to debate this. Cause he will fight you till the bitter <laughs> end. I think Sean, you got to tell him that Taysom Hill is not a Christian and then it'll be all over. Okay. I forgot. I'm going to go with Stefanski. Stefanski's great too. Yeah. So there yeah. really are a lot of good coaches left. Okay, well, then let's just go for the top is, of these games. Do we agree Arians is the worst head coach left? I think that's the worst two coaches in that game is Peyton and Arians, personally. My no. where, where, where does so, – I feel like this is a really good sample of coaches we have here. Like how – like power rankings them. Like I, I want to know where – like where does John Harbaugh lie for you guys? So Harbaugh, Harbaugh was like the first – I have a, a great respect for Harbaugh because like he came in years ago, told his team, we're going to do things differently. We're taking a very analytical approach. Here is why we are going to make those decisions. Like he, he flat out explained it to his team and got the buy-in from his team. And the Ravens were that team that was going for two a lot. They were going forward on fourth down a lot and the, the team completely bought in. And I, I will always have respect for Harbaugh for that. Um, and I think he's a good coach in general. I mean, it's it's really nitpicking about amongst a bunch of these guys. But I think like Baltimore Buffaloes are good coaches. Cleveland, Kansas City, Reed and Stefanski. I think those are great coaches as well. I like McVeigh in his like weekly preparation. I think he comes in generally with very good game plans. 
but in-game decision-making is not his forte at all. You see a lot of punts on the opposite side of the 50, um, especially in the Super Bowl against New England, which mm-hmm. there was some questionable decisions there. So I do like McVay. I think he's well above average, but I think I think you have four elite coaches this week in, um, in two games matched up against each other. The, the, yeah. the Saturday? Wait. Oh, no, wait, not the Saturday. Baltimore, games. Buffalo, and Cleveland, KC. I thought you were going to say Rams, Green Bay, too, but... I, I like the coach. I, I like the coaching in that game. I just, I'm not sure I'm ready to call. I, I'm not sure I call either of those guys elite. All right. Let's I'll, just I'll call the Rams defensive coordinator elite. His, Staley? You call him elite or you call his talent elite? No, I'll call him elite. Like his, his schemes. They, they, like, they run some weird stuff. The Rams, they confuse a lot of opposing offenses. Okay. I mean, look what happened when Aaron Donald was off the field too. I'm, I'm going to give still Rob, getting pressure. I'm going to give Rob, um, credit for this on this podcast you were talking about this really early on in the season about the rams defense and being like the rams defense may be a thing before it was the thing so all right let's talk about the thing then rams plus six and a half right now um against the packers total is 45 and a half with with so i couldn't bet the rams in this game with the state of aaron donald uh and the state of jared goff who is a huge unknown going into this week. Um, I, I couldn't bet the Rams. I just do not see the avenue for success for them on offense. I mean, potentially they can run the ball. Like Cam Akers had a good game again against Seattle last week. And the Packers, like if they have a weakness on defense, which it is a weakness, is a run defense. But without the threat of like of Goff being able to beat them, I don't think Green Bay gets killed on the ground in general. And if Cooper Cup is out, then you have Jair Alexander going up against Robert Woods. It, it like eliminates the Rams passing game altogether. So I, I just don't see a lot of paths to success for the Rams offense in general. I mean, I don't think their defense is going to get run over by Rodgers. I, I think they have three very good corners. And depending on where Devontae Adams ends up on the field, even if it's not Jalen Ramsey covering him, he's going up against a good corner. The secondary weapons are going to have to do something. They're going up against good corners. Um, so I think that's going to be a challenge. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I can't take the points. It's what, just, about the, what about the I, under then? So I'll, t- I'll say, say one thing. If I, I prefer the first half under to full game. Now it sucks that the 23 is gone and it's like 22 and a half now, which is honestly like, just barely an edge anymore, but green Bay has a propensity to play prevent very early when they have leads in the fourth quarter. If you look at green Bay this year in the game state where they are, where someone it's almost always them is, um, well, that's not all I'll retract what I just said, but if you look at game states where the win probability for one of the teams is between 10% and 90% green Bay's EPA per play on defense is seventh and now when you start including the garbage time outside of that it goes down to 14th and this is evidenced in a lot of games this year i mean anyone who's followed green bay they do allow a lot of scores late they go into prevent so that's what i would be concerned about is if they do get up a couple touchdowns here it gets really soft in the fourth quarter uh and the rams end up with an easy touchdown it's a low total relative to what a league average game is this year right 49 points league average game. And you have the Packers offense, best offense in the league. 
at 45 and a half. So for me, it's first half under um, rather than full game. Do you think that the, I guess, going to prevent, it's not exactly prevent, but is, is you, you, it's not EPA maximizing, but do you think it's win probability maximizing? I don't think so because it's, doing. it's very soft. Like they give up, they still give up chunk, chunk plays. And this has been a staple for Mike Pettin for a long time. Like this is not something that's new this year. If you look up Mike Pettin from the past as well, this is just something that they do generally when they're leading late in games. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, was, like, I, I know my, what you're saying, Rufus. Yeah. It, like it prevents the big play from happening. Well, but, you're, you're trying to run clock. I mean, if you're up, if you're up a certain, I mean, obviously everybody hates the prevent defense in situations where the game actually is within reach. Like if you're up a score late, like I, I think going into prevent is awful. If you're up 14 points with a minute and a half left, then I think it it's reasonable, especially given the onside kick rules, you know, right. but um, I've always thought Petten like that, the green Bay run defense is almost, I mean, it, it has not been strong under Petten ever, but I thought it, it in a way it's almost, I think having a bad run defense in many cases is plus EV or, or I should say not a great run defense or, or allowing, you know, because you sort of trick you, yeah. if you lure opposing offenses into going for inefficient play calling by running the ball. I mean, I think, and yeah. so the question is, can the Packers, if can they load up the box and stop the run against the Rams? Probably. Well, the thing is they, I mean, they stopped Derrick Henry a couple weeks ago yeah. and that was a threat of the pass as well. Albeit it was a colder game, windier game, but that's, I mean, it's going to be a cold game. 30 degrees, right? 30 degrees, right? Um, I I just think that, like, the team that made Green Green Bay look the worst this year would have been Minnesota at Lambeau, where Dalvin Cook ran all over them in that game, and they just had no answer. And when they did try to defend it, they were getting shredded by Cousins, who had a couple of elite weapons uh, at wide receiver. And um, the Rams are not likely – I mean, if Cup plays, probably not playing at 100%. Uh, I, I, I just, I really struggle to see how this is a good matchup for LA uh, in the, in their current state. Okay. Um, let's move on. Um, Rob, your favorite team in the world, the Buffalo bills are, it's like trending towards minus three at this point. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the line move in this game, but it opened at two and a half, went down to one right away, came back to two and a half, and now is trending towards three. The total is 49 and a half. Rufus, I'll let you go on this one. Um, what your thoughts, and then Rob, you can follow up. So I, I lean I lean Baltimore here. I mean, right now it looks like there's plus two and a half plus money available, which you know I like. I think it's um, where's my number here? I make it on the order of um, depending, well. Buffalo minus 0.2 points to basically a coin flip uh, using priors without priors. I have Buffalo is minus 1.9. A lot of it's what do you use for home field here? There's going to be some fans, um, cold weather. Baltimore is not, it's not like Tampa going to Buffalo, but, um, but still, um, you know, home field advantage has been mostly non-existent this season, or at least that's the market's perception of it late. I mean, the market perceived that it was about, 1.8 1.8 points early in the season. And now it's down to like half a point or less. Um, I don't know what the right answer is to that, but I I'm giving Buffalo more home field advantage than I am. Um, some other teams. Um, I, I have it as 1.6 here, which is, I guess, 60% of what I would know, what I would normally have it being given the sit, the situation where they're playing, et cetera, whether, um, and so 
that's probably more generous than the markets being on home field. I don't know. Um, but that that's obviously a big part of it. I don't, again, at this point in the season, I don't think there's, I'm, I'm not showing huge discrepancies in any line. So, you know, this isn't, this is, this is not a, a, a big edge by any means, but if I, if I had to, you know, plus two and a half plus money, I think is a good bet though. I, I like that you mentioned your number with priors and without, cause I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I'm not using priors. I make yeah. Buffalo minus 3.1 in this game. Mm-hmm. I do like the bills. Um, is it, wait, but Rob, but is that, is like that a mean right or a median? Is that like, so that's, that's my you, median. That's your median. Okay. Okay. So, cause, cause when I say like minus 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 1.9, that's like, that's my mean, which the median in that case is going to be, or, you know, or it's going to be different than the me- median at that, that point, for sure. Um, and neither of these teams was particularly impressive last week, in my, my view. Um, but I, I do like the matchup for Buffalo. I'll, I'll kind of explain why here. People are going to hone in on the Bills run defense numbers from this year, uh, EPA per play and DVOA, which show that they are below average run defense, which is true if you use the full season as a whole. When you start really breaking it down, um, for me, I particularly like to look at when Matt Milano has been on the field for them at linebacker this year. The run defense has been well above average. Now, it's a limited sample. I get it. But one thing about Buffalo, and it's been talked about ad nauseum this week, I'm not going to be the first one to mention it, and this isn't the first week it's going to get mentioned, but they intentionally are enticing people to try to run the ball in general. They play two safeties high away from the line of scrimmage. They want teams to run the ball on them in general, and they've still been able to stop it in general. And when I look at Baltimore last week, they faced something very similar with Tennessee where they really didn't reply to the, the weakness of the Tennessee defense, which is their pass defense. They tried to run the ball on them, even though Tennessee's much better run defense, because that's what Baltimore does. And they're going to employ that game plan again. They're going to run. It's going to force Lamar Jackson to have to convert third downs through throwing. I don't think it's going to happen. He might break away some runs. He does that here and there. But these teams played in Buffalo last year. I don't really want to focus in on it too much because I, I like Josh Allen's a different quarterback this year than last year. But the Bills shut down Lamar Jackson last year. They were able to do that. And he was much better passing the ball than he was this year. Just on the other side of things, like I don't really think anyone is capable of stopping the Bills offense in general right now. I think the Colts did about as good a job as you could do last week and still ended up giving up a ton of points in that game. Um, and I mean, just for those reasons, I, I like my number likes Buffalo subjectively. I think I like Buffalo even more than, than my number. I, I just, I don't see a ton of path to success for the Ravens. Okay. Let's move on. Next game, Kansas city chiefs minus 10 against the Browns. This was, I think as high as 10 and a half. Now it looks like it's going to, it may go under 10, um, because it's 10 plus 10 minus 120. I'm seeing some places total is 57. I know our beard friend on the open was on the over 56. Um, anything you guys like in this, Rob, you can go first here. Yeah. So it's kind of like a double lean for me on the Browns and the under right now. It's tough. So like, parlay, like, parlay, correlated parlay. I don't even, I don't know that it is to be completely honest. Okay. 
I don't know that it is necessarily. I mean, just uh, based I, on the philosophies and stuff like that are based on, I mean, it's I, not I, a, there's, I think there, there's such a wide range of things that the Browns could do in general. This makes this a very difficult game to handicap, right? Because they have a clear advantage with their running game and their offensive line against Kansas city's run defense, but that would be kind of not their style, right? They tend to throw more on early downs. They utilize play action a lot. Um, I don't, you know, for me, my model is only as good as the inputs, right? I kind of have to predict, be able to somewhat predict what teams are going to do. And I, I think I, I excel at that in general. And that's kind of where I feel like I, I have an advantage. And I don't know what Cleveland's going to do in this game. I find it very, very difficult to, to get there. Just in general, I can't get to this number regardless. I think a lot of it is built off of Kansas City priors. I'd be interested to hear your number on this game, uh, Rufus, with priors and without, because the Chiefs are not the same team as last year. And their offensive line especially is not the same offensive line as last year. I think that's where they're encountering more issues on offense with Mahomes facing more pressure with Mitchell Schwartz out. So um, I'm leaning Bears and the under. Just in general, a total of 57 and a half. Um, Just one commentary I'll make on the Chiefs offense. The, Bear, the Browns' defense is not very good. But if you're going up against the Chiefs' offense and you're game planning for them, you want to prevent the big plays. And the reason why is if you look at the Chiefs in the red zone this year, they score a touchdown on 61% of their trips into the red zone. If you go back to last year with Mahomes, it's 60%. That's pretty much league average. They're not a highly efficient team in the red zone. Um, so if you can limit the chunk plays – you give yourself a fighting chance. And I, I think that's kind of got to be the Browns mentality in this game is just play safeties deep, let KC what they can take underneath, move the ball downfield, and then just hope to get some stops at some point. And I think potentially because of that um, and the lack of big plays, I'm, that's kind of why I'm leaning to an under here. Okay. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit on Kansas city. Yes. They have not been, um, you know, like Buffalo, is graded out as a better team than Kansas City so far this year without priors, for example. Um, New Orleans graded out as a better team. Um, Baltimore slightly is graded out as a better team without priors. Um, but Kansas City, uh, Andy Reid, as I said, like ha- is I think my numbers have sort of confirmed to me that he is not someone who's going to waste his good plays um, against bad teams and. Kansas City's 15 and one. I mean, you've seen what they haven't covered in eight straight games, but some of these have been backdoor covers. They've had comfortable leads yeah. uh, there. You know, you play to win the game. You don't play for style points. And I, when I think they know they're going to get to this point and they want to have some tricks up their sleeve and some bullets left in the holster. And the question for me is, is this a game that is worthy of that? Because I, I don't think Cleveland's a good team. I, you know, I, I think they're a very well coached team, but I have them as a league average team. I have them actually negative 0.3 points relative to league average using a prior and plus 1.13 without a prior. Uh, my number is actually, so my, my number on the game is minus 10.8 if I'm not using a prior to Kansas City. And that's not factoring in the whole Andy Reid um, playing up to the good teams. Because honestly, in this case, I don't know what I would do here. I mean, it is a playoff game and you, you saw what happened last year's playoffs. They were down... A twenty-four nothing to to Houston, 
and they were down double digits against Tennessee and San Francisco for that matter. Um, yep. But with, with no prior, I make it minus 7.6, but it does feel like Kansas city is unique here. in the fact that they are, I don't want to say they're like an NBA team in a way. And they're not, you know, we give crap. We, we give, uh, we give, um, 538 NBA model, or is it the ESPN NBA model? I don't remember which like crap because the playoffs are different, but in, 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 but I, I do, I, I get the feeling, uh, that the playoffs are different for Kansas city and, um, and they have, I mean, they've just haven't been in a lot of situations where it was, you know, where, where a lot of, I guess, high leverage situations for their season. I get, I get all that. Um, I think a lot of that's valid. I do believe I am a believer in the chiefs having the quote unquote good playbook. Like I do believe that's a thing. I won't focus on the Browns. One thing about the Browns. Such a funny statement, by the way, it's like, Hey, let's run the good plays this game or no, let's run the bad plays. (laughs) Well, it's like in the preseason, right? Teams run plays, but it's like not that creative. I mean, it's, I, I think we all like are, you can, we've heard this narrative. It's, if you can win with funny, your talent, right? why do you need it's to funny show? funny if you think, go yeah. back to the basics of it. It's just a funny thing. It, it, it is. is funny. I would agree. I mean, it, it's, yeah, you would think that, <laughs> anyways, the Browns, four games from the Browns this year, okay, there's that I think are greatly impacting their overall number, where they play the, the weather Texans, ones, right? The Texans, no. the Eagles, and the Raiders, three teams that they would have been heavily favored over in conditions where they could not throw the ball in general. Yeah, which, look, right. Those games don't come out looking as hot for the Browns as they should. Yeah, then but they look, look, how, look how it looks for their defense, though. It makes their defense look better than it is. Sure, but I, I, would, I would suggest that the margins of victory in those games would have been much larger in optimal conditions than they were. Okay, so it sounds like you wait, guys wait, differ. Team, wait, Rob had one more point here. Well, and then they played. They played the Jets without their entire receiving core. Like that's, that's having an impact on on most people's numbers if they're using season stats. Like that game is thrown out. That's a that. How do you use that? Like it's. Um, so I mean, that's just kind of where I'm at with Cleveland, and probably why I end up uh, with different numbers on the Browns regularly. Okay, I mean, and look, I don't have, I don't, I don't have a horse in this race. I mean. My number's right around market. If my, my I show an edge on the Browns with the no prior number. And yeah, but I think for me, I guess the sort of qualitative stuff goes the other direction. Yeah. Um, if again, if depending on which playbook Reed uses, right? So, <laughs> okay, last game the official Rufus Peabody bet the process team, the New Orleans Ooh. Saints minus three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a minus three, minus 120. So I'm guessing it's going to probably close over three would be my guess. You don't think so? I don't know. I feel like as soon as it gets to three and a half, it just gets, I think it's going to close. It gets hammered. Yeah. It's going to be a 3.25. Yeah. Something like that. Totals 52. Asian handicap. Yeah. Uh, I don't like this game at all. Like I I never considered it at any point this week. I'm, I'm like right just over three. I think I have almost the exact same numbers I have in, in the Bills game, 3.1, 51.7 as total. Uh, I mean, I do you guys know. take any stock in the, uh, like what do you take, what do you read out of 
the two games that they've played earlier this season? A whole lot of nothing, personally. Uh, but that's not to say that New Orleans isn't a bad matchup for the Saints because uh, – sorry, for Tampa Bay. It's just that Tampa Bay is a very different team from what they were earlier on in the year. Uh, right. A lot of early down running earlier in the year. A lot of uh, routes, like, downfield. They now have Antonio Brown, which they, ha- they had him in the second meeting, but he played, like, 10 snaps because it was his first game with, uh, with the Bucs. And he provides a much more reliable underneath threat. Like it ever since they, Tampa's had the buy, their offense has been completely different. Their defense has been completely different. It's like a whole new team just in general. So um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't put a but wouldn't that make you lean towards the bucks here. If you fundamentally think their most recent stats are more representative of what they should be. Yes. But also I think the saints are kind of undervalued because they haven't had all their weapons together for the majority of the year. And I I, honestly, we talk about like the vanilla playbook, the bears got the vanilla playbook from the Saints. (laughs) Like that, that is real. Like the saints called a very vanilla game. Well, it it didn't seem like, like, okay. So Peyton punting, punting from the like 40 opponents, 40 yard line. It seemed like, like to me, that was of all the sort of questionable decisions. That was the most justifiable because he was like, we're not losing this game unless we have a, a major F up, like just the way. Yeah. But as someone who has a four, per, you know, bears in a Calcutta and can get 4% of the pool yeah. from a, a blow up loss. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like Drew Brees, like why are you pulling the ball back on the goal line when you're jumping in for a touchdown? I, I, the end of that game sent me spinning, but I, I think, it, I think there's just, yeah, I, I, I think there's so many unknowns here. I think it makes it very difficult. I think the most likely outcome is the Saints win by exactly three. Um, well, of course, that's the modal outcome for like most football games, right? But, but even <laughs> like even if you asked me beforehand, I, I that's kind of just where I would be at. 27-24 Saints, like that's just kind of what I see. By the way, why, why was Drew Brees running the quarterback sneak? Is it because he wants Taysom Hill to play but can't bench Drew Brees? That's my conspiracy theory. So he's risking injury for Drew Brees. Ridiculous, Rufus. So what do you make this game? Um, Okay, so I make it. I'm using half a point home field advantage, zero point five five actually for New Orleans. Uh, The the number with Priors is minus five point seven, because I have the Saints as the best team in the league with Priors, which, you know, hell, a lot of the other quant people out there um, seem to like them. Outsiders, FPI. I mean, not maybe not as much as me, but. With no priors, I still have it Saints minus 3.3, so it's still the same direction there. One thing that's interesting here, um, I was kind of curious why I do like the Saints so much, and I, you know, besides, of course, the fact that they're really good in play success. Uh, which and I, they have I, an old white quarterback. Well, that, that's not for the in-season stuff. Ethnic, well, that's why ethnicity like is only used in the model with priors. Just an kidding. old quarterback. Um, but... The Saints uh, have a penalty yard differential of negative 458 yards. That's the worst in the NFL by far. And you can argue that there's, you know, that maybe they deserve all those penalties, but um, it's not super predictive going forward. Um, the Bucks are plus 301, which is the best in the NFL. So Tom Brady, Tom Brady team, Rufus, you're going to get the calls, man. That's the way it's been for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I think you have a coaching mismatch here um, as well. I mean, Arians, as I said, like number one coach in terms of not playing or playing better against the bad teams than he does against the good, um, relatively speaking. Um, And so 
yeah, I, uh, I think, I mean, those are, I guess, some narratives or, or some, some flavor I can give you there, aside from the fact that I always like the Saints and um, I have them in the Calcutta and I'm very much hoping they win. And I bet them early in the week also. All right. There we go. That's the whole, that's a wrap, as they say. Um, you guys got anything else to say on the last week of the NFL or should we just call I'm, it a night? I'm just interested like to know what, who you guys are rooting for for a Super Bowl this year. Like what do you guys want to see as the Super Bowl? That's a good question. I think these playoffs have been like, I thought last week was, I mean, the matchups were good. I don't know. It, it's, I, I'm actually, I'm pretty excited for all these games this week too. I think any combination of Bills, Chiefs, Bucks, Packers is what I would like to see. Yeah. You like, don't want I, the Saints. I think I the Saints are just kind of they're just they're, I, I like I, I like the Saints. I have I have some futures on them, but they're just like I we've seen that movie. I don't need to see that movie again. They're not that much fun to watch. I mean, the 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 Packers thing with Rodgers and that's fun. The Brady thing, as much as I hate him and don't like Ed Teach, like that's fun. I'm just kidding, Ed. Um, <laughs> the Bills thing obviously is fun because, like, I mean, Josh Allen is. It pains me to say it because we have Kansas City in the in the, uh, but he's fun to watch and he's just like digs and the whole thing that's fun and i like mcdermott like i think that's right but like watching mahomes play in any critical game i mean there's nothing like it like mahomes is insane i mean like josh allen's probably the closest thing right but josh allen is like really one direction like mahomes can go either direction and throw on a dime so it's that's the difference to me but josh allen's like a truck too that's the difference he's huge Another thing with Mahomes, though, is you're going to see him running more in the playoffs. I mean, I think all these quarterbacks that, you know, that they're saving themselves for high lever situations, put their body at risk. I mean, I think that's true for um, Lamar Jack. Well, I think it's true for Lamar Jackson. I think you see him run more in critical games. No, I, I agree with that. I think there was a stretch there where they weren't using him so much in the RPO for a while and or he wasn't running it so much. So uh, on the zone reads, I should say. So I, I agree with that. He's banged um, up early in the year too. How about yeah. you, Rob? What do you, what do you say? Well, I, I, so for me, like, I'm so sick of seeing Tom Brady win, but like the the Bills versus Brady kind of storyline is appealing to me a little bit. Like, but I would really want the Bills to win that game, right? I, I, I couldn't deal with them losing again in some capacity to Brady. Uh, but like Mahomes Rogers to me is... I, I think that's kind of the dream Super Bowl, just in general, with just from like a pure football fan perspective. Hard not to root for that. What's that's the, what's, true. I guess in terms of yeah, I don't really have a clear preference. I mean, what's the highest? What would be the highest total matchup? Which which matchup would have the highest total? Yeah, Kansas City versus Green Bay. Yeah. Would that be higher than Kansas City, Cleveland? I mean, the Bills are pretty oh, high because their Bills defense is terrible against the pass. So they're going to generate a pretty high total also. But they won't generate. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I think and they don't they don't run at all. So like it's like. 
Yes, that's true. I don't know. I, I think like KC Green Bay ends up with a total probably probably yeah. where, where where Cleveland's open this week, something like a like 56. 56, 57, yeah. Probably higher because it's a Super Bowl, right? It'll get bet up. Yeah, and I, like I'll be that will be one of the Super Bowls that'll be disgusting to like cheer for all the alt unders and stuff like that, but that's where all the value would lie. But Rufus will be. Rufus yeah. will be cheering. And it could him. be one of those Super Bowls that, like, oh my God, like the Rams, Rams Patriots. Not Rams yeah. Patriots. Um, that was a great one. But the Patriots, like Eagles, <sighs> the shootout Super Bowls. Yeah. So would you guys bet? I mean, obviously it's chalk, but like if you could even money on anything, you would bet Packers, Chiefs at this point? Like, like if most likely matchup? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. chalk, so it should be yeah. what we all bet. But, like, it, it's only interesting if one of us says something different. No, it's not. For me, I mean, I think that's the most likely matchup is Chiefs-Packers. Yeah, I mean, I have it close with the Saints. I Because I have the Saints, <laughs> obviously, higher than um, the Saints. But, but here, the, thi- the thing is, and I mean, hates the Saints, too, so it's kind of funny. Here's the question. I, What's the line Green Bay against New Orleans? So I, I make it I make it Packers, um, Packers 51.5%, which I know is going to be way lower in the market. Well, where's the market my, there? I don't have my stuff up in front of me, but it, I'm I would absolutely 100% guarantee that I'm higher than that. Oh, I know, I, I know, I'm off market there, but I, I I'm curious what the market actually would be. Do you think it's going to be Packers minus three, minus two and a half? I mean, it, a lot will depend on this week's games, right? Yeah. Well, conditional. I do, I do conditional think this on both teams games, winning. But how do they win, right? Because th- th- this this week will shape at least how the public perceives these teams, right? Right. I agree, Jeff. And that's what, when I make a future, I, I run simulations and there's different ways they can. Dynamic and I'm saying the 51 and half percent is the all average probability. Efficiency also. So we got it. I'm like, Rob, Rufus is still yeah. a dog's name. We got it. It is. Man, I, don't, I don't want to watch the saints in the super bowl. That would be like a disappointment for me. I don't know what it is. Like they do have good weapons and Camara that are, you know, Thomas are exciting, but like, Oh, Rob, I forgot yeah. to interject because I didn't want to interrupt you before when you said that you couldn't, didn't know what Cleveland was going to do. And I was like, that's the hallmark of a good, well-coached team. It because is. Because they want, yeah. if their opponent knows what they're going to do, then they can game plan for it. Like the whole point is you want to throw something they don't expect. Yeah. yeah that's Which a is good why point. Belichick, it's why I hate having the Patriots in the Super Bowl every year generally for props because, you know. He, like Rufus predict. will talk to me and he'll be like, so you're a Patriots fan. So how many carries do you think that like some second fullback will get? And I'm like, I, I have no idea. How many That's carries do you think James crowdsourcing White will get? with Jeff Moss? Yeah. yeah. And I, All right, guys, this was fun. And I think it was very structured. Hopefully our critics will enjoy this. Otherwise I'll go back to interrupting you guys all the time. I like that you had an agenda there, Jeff. That was, was good. Very, thank you. Very, very professional. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, we'll talk to you guys in a week when hopefully all of us will be richer. And if Bitcoin keeps going up, we'll all be richer. So that doesn't matter what we do in our sports. So thank you guys. Talk to you guys. Simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a leaded.